Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Hey Kerwin, where you have the questions and I give the answers. I need to practice my beatbox. It's good to have everyone back, good to be back. First video of the year, literally first video of 2017. Matthias is back from Sweden. I am back from Canada. Different. I do look different. You look pale as ever. You look just as pale as when I left you. Um, and uh, apparently I'm like, I've got a growth. I've been growing something. From this day forth, I shall be known as the Yeti. Chimichanga says, Hey Corwin, what is your favorite brand activation of all time? Look, I, I think there's a few. There's, there's two that really stand out in my mind. The Elmo doll and the Nintendo Game Boy. And I'm going to use a Nintendo Game Boy because I think it was a really uh, strategic execution of the way that they, they launched that product. Uh, what they did, as the story goes, is they went into all the most popular uh, um, high schools in the United States and they literally found the most popular kids in the senior grades of the most popular schools in the US and they actually gave these kids a Game Boy. All of them a Game Boy. And this is like two months, I think eight weeks, uh, 12 weeks before they actually launched the product. And so they gave out thousands of these Game Boys to the most popular boys and girls in schools all over the country. And what that created was this mass hysteria at schools where all these kids were looking at their popular kids playing with this item that they really wanted to have. And as a result, when they actually launched, much like with the Elmo fascination, it went absolutely ballistic. And that was just one of their many uh, activations that they use as a part of the Game Boy brand that I thought was really, really strategically well done from a social proof perspective. Alex Martin says, hey Corwin, how do you know if you're cut out to be an entrepreneur? That's a good question. We actually made a video just on that. You know what, I actually think that is probably one of the most important questions that you could ask anyone who is looking to get into business. Because I think there's this, the people have this um, perception that uh, being an entrepreneur, being in business uh, is, is very romantic and it's like champagne and oysters and you know, when in reality it's more like beers and fucking Skittles. Uh, business is very difficult and it requires a certain constitution in order to be able to maintain uh, a healthy life, a healthy balance when things go wrong. I don't think everyone can be an entrepreneur, that's the easy answer. I don't think everyone is cut out for it, I don't think everyone can deal with the stress, I don't think everyone can deal with the the mental gymnastics that's required to take, you know, oftentimes many of these, you know, very stressful situations and turn them into positive events just merely by, you know, working with the, the mechanics of the event that they're looking at. So look, the short answer is no, I don't think everyone can be an entrepreneur and I think the people who are most likely to survive, you know, the entrepreneurial life are the ones that have the ability to persist and they have that resilience and they have learnt how to take the wins with the hits but also have that ability to be able to um, look at things differently based on the requirement to see the lessons in every single experience that we have. And if that's you, then go for it. Elise Cumming asks, Hey Kerwin, they say the first 12 months are the hardest. <laughs> How do I keep my passion for what I do? Let's assume that Elise is an entrepreneur. Uh, it's actually, you were lied to, it's, it's not the first 12 months that are hardest, it's actually the first 10 years. Um, and I promise you, after 10 years, it actually gets a lot easier. And I know that there's a, there's a part of you that might be thinking I'm joking right now, and I'm pretty sure Matthias is waiting for me to like pull the punchline, but that's just the truth, that's the reality of it. And I don't think there is any easy answer, because in all reality, I actually don't even remember what the question was, so. Ali Chen says, hey Kerwin, how to find my passion? How do I find my passion? We seem to be getting that question a lot. I, I get that message at least probably, 
five or six times a week on Facebook when people watch the purpose video. And, you know, I always direct them back to the video and, you know, say, answer the questions, you know, what, what do you love to do? You know, what do you think about? What do you talk about? What do you fantasize about? What are the things that you, when you're doing them, you lose time and space? And I think the challenge for a lot of people when they don't know what they love is they often know what they love, but they're just too afraid to actually pursue it because of, you know, what that might mean um, in, in the context of their own life and their own situation. You know, and I also think on the flip side of that, purpose is one of these things that it's, it, I don't think we're all entitled to a purpose. I think everyone has a purpose, but I don't think we're entitled to discover that purpose. I think a purpose is discovered when you search for it. Uh, and I kind of get a little bit um, curious when I hear these people saying, you know, I've been searching for my purpose for the last two years and I haven't found it yet. And it's like, well, you know, dude, I was searching for my fucking purpose for easily 10 years before, maybe more before I really understood what it was that I was, that I was here to do. You know, that's a conscious exploration. It's a conscious, you know, uh, search. So I think, you know, the, the second thing to remember outside of asking those questions to yourself and not being afraid to do what is actually obviously there. The second thing is also to realize that sometimes your purpose takes time. You know, it takes time for it to come clear because sometimes you might find what your purpose is, but then you might realize that after a little bit of, a little bit of time, it's not exactly on the track that you wanted to go down. So you might pivot slightly. So I think you know purpose is one of those things that it, you, you've got to be willing to you've got to be willing to ask the questions, but you've also got to be willing to have the patience and the time to realize that a purpose might take you ten years to find, it might take you twenty years to find, but if you keep looking for it, at some point ultimately you're going to find it. And I think that's the real discipline that's required is that persistence to realize you know just because you have a purpose doesn't mean you're entitled to know what it is. You know you've actually got to do the work, and that's why I say you know your purpose in life is to find your purpose. Siege Duero says, hey Corwin, how do you make two divided teammates work as one again? <sighs> open and honest communication. You ideally want to bring these two people together and just have a very open, honest um, dialogue. You know, it sounds to me like you might be the mediator. Uh, I'm not necessarily a big fan of mediators. I think um, unless it's in a situation where it's uh, just so bad that it requires a third party intervention. But I, I think the way to solve any communication problem is, is, is to talk about it and have a very high level of open and honesty, openness and honesty that is required to overcome anything. And also the ability not to take things personally. I think when you've got a division uh, of, of anyone, that often means that there's a conflict, which means that there are two perspectives that you know, are in conflict over what the reality is or what's right or what's wrong. And I think sometimes, you know, there's an old saying, you can either be right or you can be happy. And I think when you have a division, um, you know, communication can, in many cases, can sometimes can solve the problem completely. But in other cases, it might require someone to, to, to play a bigger role and take a, a higher level of responsibility. You know, and I find myself doing that on a very regular basis, not just for, you know, my teammates, but, you know, just in general, I, I think it's really important that, you know, you, you take every opportunity that you can to ensure that the effect that you're having on the people that are around you is, is a positive one. And if that means that sometimes you have to, 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 to suck on an egg because your perspective is different from someone else's and, or, your, or your facts are different from someone else's, you know, I think um, every now and then it's, uh, it's, it's, it's okay to be wrong about the things that you write about from other people's perspectives. Did that make sense? Yes, okay. finally. Finally. <laughs> Adrian D'Amico says, hey Corwin, what marketing strategies would you implement to grow a membership site? Adrian. Great to hear from you, mate. Um, look, I think uh, what I would use to market any, like a membership site would be the same thing I'd use to market any 
product or service business right now, regardless of what um, you know, whatever its mode of delivery was, I'd be using social media. Like social media right now is, you know, Gary you know, Vaynerchuk often says that Gary that um, social media is the current state of the internet. You know, but I also believe that social media is the current state of you know marketing. I actually believe that social media right now. Know, holds all the keys for you know the next evolution uh, and and the next generation of you know successful businesses, whether that be the ones that are already existing going to new levels or new ones coming out. Uh, and I think the method is really simple: just produce content. You know, good content that the that the that the ideal audience is going to consume. Be able to produce enough good content to be able to identify what uh, what is you know. Be, be perhaps above average to be able to amplify from a paid perspective, and then I'd be retargeting those people that you target from an amplified perspective, retargeting those people uh, with your real hardcore promotions and where you're actually looking for a, you know, some form of a conversion. But I'd be looking for your content can, to be consumed first and foremost. Look, it's not rocket science, but it's simply the way that I would do it. Lisa Trigenza says, Hey Corwin, what are your thoughts on opening the business to investors and shareholders versus a business loan? Look, I'm always pro uh, I'm a big fan of capital. Uh, I think capital is a great accelerant that makes things move faster in business. I think business loans are a great avenue. I think investors are a great avenue. It really depends on what your outcome is. You know, when you look at business loans, I think business loans are fundamentally not very intelligent forms of money, but it's it's money. And if you can get your hands on it, and you've got no other options, and you can get it at a good rate, then you know it might be a viable option. But there are some things that we need to consider with business loans. They have these caveats sometimes. Uh, included whereby you know if there's security that is going against the loan if certain things don't happen i.e. certain margins profit margins certain performance numbers like revenue numbers they can actually foreclose on the loan and if you've got your house as security um, or your business security in some cases if you know if you can't make pay they can actually foreclose and take you know start taking property uh, and even your business if there's any property or, or if there's any asset in there at all um, I'm a big fan of investors and shareholders I think it's a great way to get access to capital that you don't necessarily have to pay back but one thing you need to remember when it comes to accessing investors and shareholders well let's just you know pull those into the same category is once you start bringing on investors and you start having shareholders you're then going to have more people involved in the decision-making processes. You're going to have more people involved in, in some cases, the day-to-day -day operations of the business, depending on what type of an investor that money comes from. You know, if you're going to a professional investor, a professional investor will give you money, and their goal is not to work in your business. Their goal is to give you the money and let the money go to work for them. Uh, and then, the, obviously, the best type of an investor, yeah, I, I really prefer to work with, with, with professional investors that have access to intelligence or experience in those industries or networks that can open doors. Um, but also, sometimes people, when they're a little bit desperate, you know, they sometimes bring on shareholders and investors that have no investment experience whatsoever. They just have access to capital, and they give them that capital. But not only do they get the capital, but they also get um, this huge level of responsibility. That in some cases there's a requirement where you need to report back daily to these people about what's going on in your business. You know, and there's nothing worse than if you take money from a family member to grow your business than having them ring you every day going, "How's it going? How's it going?" How's it going? Like that, you know, there's nothing. There's no hell worse than than, than that idea um, in in a reality. So look, there's many things that you can that you can weigh up, but also you need to understand whether it's a business loan or a, you know seeking investors or shareholders. You know, does your business actually stack up first of all to be lent to to actually have someone lend you money, or secondly for someone to actually invest in you? You know, I think oftentimes you know people think the idea of getting capital is really quite easy, but in truth it's very difficult. You know, I have another business, K2 Capital, where we actually raise funds for businesses, and I can tell you, raising money is actually very hard. Um, you know, and it actually takes a lot of work and a lot of legwork to find the right people with the right money to be able to get into the right deal. 
So look, there's many things for you to think about there, but uh, what I can tell you is money will drive the business forward faster, but it's not necessarily a requirement. The best way that you can fund any business is through sales. I'll leave you with that one. You like sales or something? I like sales. Spitfire Mustang on YouTube asks, Hey Kerwin, when getting started in business, how do I get my family on board and manage narcissistic personalities? That's a big question. That's two very hairy meatball um, questions. Look, I think when getting anyone enrolled in anything, there's got to be a level of desire. There's got to be a level of interest. There's got to be, you know, some genuine um, motive for someone to want to get involved in anything. Uh, and if it's not obvious and you've got to dig and find, that's what's called sales. And salesmanship is your ability to persuade people to your perspective and your way of thinking. Um, and that would maybe be the very first place for you to start is to learn how to bring people around to your way of thinking to get them to come on board. But you know, you've started with you know, a very big sale and family is always going to be a very big sale. Um, you know, it's probably one of the hardest things to deal with in any you know, situation, whether it be in a personal situation or a business situation, is how do you get you know, your family on board? And, and I can tell you firsthand, my family, although I have a great family, they weren't 100% supportive when I got into business the first few times myself because they didn't want me to hurt myself. Um, and there was no amount of anything that I could do that really would have probably changed their mind. Their idea of safety for me was, you know, a forty to fifty, sixty thousand dollar a year job, um, and keeping my head down, and that just wasn't going to work. Uh, and when it comes to managing narcissistic personalities, look, I think there is a way that you can manage narcissistic personalities, but my op my opt is always not to. You know, I don't want to work with narcissism. I don't want to work with individuals that I have to manage per se, because business is hard enough without having to manage, you know, aspects of personalities and dynamics within families or person dynamics within, you know, narcissism or, you know, whatever the, the label it is you want to apply to people that, um, you know, that may be different from you. So look, I, I think there's no easy answer for this one. Uh, but what I will say is I never work with someone that I don't like and narcissism is not something that I'm attracted to. And when it comes to getting family on board, you know, I'd probably give that the same answer that I'd get for anyone. You know, if you can't get anyone, if you can't get someone on board, then just do it anyway. That was episode two of The Hey Kerwin Show. Now, I need some questions. What do you want to know about life, love, maybe even business? Maybe not love, whatever you need. Thanks for listening to Hey Kerwin. If you would like your questions answered, don't forget to use the hashtag Hey Kerwin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.